So uh, just to follow up on Jerry's story, you never quite know what Jerry's going to lead off with. And so um, that night when he handed me that book, I mean, it was actually a very touching night for me. There were others in the audience who felt that was a very poignant moment. And they asked me, what did Jerry say to you? And I'll never forget it. He handed me the book and he said, don't lose this. <laughs> and, uh, and I have it. I know where it is. I know exactly where that is. So um, anyway. The other reason not to fully prepare, I mean, I, I, I prepared for a couple weeks in advance of this session, but then the Wednesday session that Jerry led was tremendous, and, and uh, I learned things that I did not know, horrified to hear that they were doing two Bible lectures <laughs> a year, different things, and so I began to rethink what I was going to talk about. And then yesterday, if you were here when uh, Rubel told his story, uh, about his faith journey and how it dovetailed. In fact, here they all come. I appreciate you being in the session. And Rubel told his great story uh, yesterday of his faith journey as it linked and and connected to the uh, to the Bible lectures. And then, uh, so I began to rethink again what I was going to bring to this group on Friday. I had to start rethinking everything. In fact, Jerry even asked me at the end of the session, Rick, do you have anything to add? And I said, I'm going to rethink everything. <laughs> and then after a little interchange you had, Rubel, the first thing I decided I need to rethink was my wardrobe. I did not know it was going to matter as it did. There was some objection to um, blue shirts. That's what you always wear is a blue shirt, and you're not today. Can you imagine my horror this morning when I woke up to get dressed for today's session and realized I only had blue shirts? And so, <laughs> this is it. This is it. So uh, anyway, I don't think, I don't know if there are hecklers in the audience. You, know, are. you are. Yeah, there's a few of them walking in there. All right. All right well, that's kind of, that's right. That's right. Well, um, when I first met Jerry Rushford, you need to know that my story is going to be very, very different from what you've heard some before. And I'm going to give it this story through, this is, this is the story according to Rick. Um, and this is how I have seen things sort of unfold in the time that we have. When I first met Jerry, he looked like that. Uh, you probably remember that photo. You probably remember Jerry in those days. The first time I met Jerry Rushford, it was at the Oildale Church of Christ. I grew up in Bakersfield. We all gathered at the Oildale Church for, to hear this guy from Pepperdine named Jerry Rushford who talked about church history. And you can only imagine as a high school kid, uh, the excitement I had when my dad said, hey, we're going to go here to church historian tonight. And so we went to hear Jerry Rushford speak at the Oildale Church of Christ, and there were a lot of people there. I don't know if you remember speaking at Oildale. That was a big building uh, on Chester Avenue is where the church is and still is there, uh, much, much smaller. church itself is as big as ever, but uh, there were people there or less. And... Um, he began to just unfold church history, and this high school kid was amazed and enthralled with what I was hearing. And so that was my introduction to Jerry Rushford. Heard him again in one of the most important fellowships that brought our fellowship, the Churches of Christ, together uh, at the Yosemite Family Encampment. Anybody else to go to the Yosemite Family Encampment? Oh, my goodness, I loved the Yosemite Family Encampment. Every year we would never miss it. And uh, I actually sat in a James Garfield class there, and uh, you know, I led a pretty exciting life, as you can tell. As a kid. Um, the next time I saw Jerry, it was at um, the Newland Street Church, where I uh, was, Newland Street and Garden Grove. I was a member of that church. It's where I met my wife, Agnes. If you know Agnes, she and her family, the Stallings, were there for many, many years. And Jerry came to speak at Sunday Bible class one time. 
And once again, I was reminded that Jerry Rushford just might know everything. I mean, I, was, I couldn't believe all the facts that he had and all the facts that he was delivering. And I was so impressed by that. So I decided to ask him a question, now at college at that time, to ask the person you know, who knows everything a question uh, about Pepperdine, because I was actually interested in maybe even coming to Pepperdine. And so I asked the man who knows everything, Jerry, do you have a, a, um, an art history program at Pepperdine? And he immediately answered, I don't know. <laughs> so, and that was it. That was my only interaction. I was, that, that was my first actual interaction with Jerry Rusford was, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I actually think at the time there was not an art history yeah. program, and, and now I believe there, there actually is. Fast forward now, we're getting closer to where we start in, 20, uh, in 1998. Uh, in, 1990, in 1986, I, um, I uh, took a job at the Mission VA Church of Christ. Uh, we could talk about that for the rest of our time, but we won't. I worked with Jeff Walling. We could definitely talk about that for the rest of our time. He was the uh, well-known preaching minister. I was the lesser-known everything-else minister at that church. And I took the job for six months, and six months turned into 11 years. And on the 11th year, Jeff had moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and was preaching at a church there. And I now was in charge of everything at the church, plus preaching on Sundays, at least for a while, uh, until I realized I am totally ill-equipped to do this and decided to do something else. More about that in a moment. And I remember this is when I had the most memorable conversation with Jerry Rushford. I'm now sitting in the big chair, the only chair, the preacher's chair. And the phone rings, and I realize it's a phone call that Jeff got every year. Now, I used to go to the Bible lectures every year, but I didn't get this call. Jeff did. But this particular year, because Jeff was gone, I got this call. Hello, Rick. This is Jerry Rushford. Wow, he knows who I am. We began to talk. He was telling me about the opening night at the Pepper Dime Bible lectures and that we fill it every single year. Tuesday night, opening night, we fill that every single year. And we're going to do it again this year. I need you to bring 42 people from the Mission Video Church of Christ. Not a rounded number of 40 or 45. Somehow, he had calculated that to fill Firestone Fieldhouse, he needed 42 from me. And so I said, Jerry, I've got at least one van full. It's a big van. It's got 18, it can hold 18 people. 18 will not do, Jerry Rushford said. Well, the last thing in the world I wanted to do in my new role was to disappoint Jerry Rushford. I was pretty sure God would forgive me, but I wasn't so sure about Jerry. And so I began to work to bring an audience to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures so that we could have that moment when everybody had to pack into the Firestone Fieldhouse. And the only way that was going to happen was if I brought my 42 and I brought... 18. <laughs> and that year, I looked into the audience and it was packed, but I did see a few empty seats. And I felt as guilty as you can be about that. Those 18 people, I had let Jerry down. But, you know, Jerry was, was friendly and all. What I had no idea of knowing was that I would be coming to Pepperdine within just about a year. Um, and uh, what brought me to Pepperdine was. Uh, a few things. Um, on a very practical level, um, my background is as a, in the creative arts. I, w I worked as a designer for years and an illustrator. 
Um, if I could still be a Disney Imagineer, I'd do it in a minute, <laughs> and somebody else could do Bible lectures. Um, <laughs> I uh, love that and loved that then. And, um, and so I got a call from Bill Henniger. Bill factors heavily, by the way, not into the remarks I'm going to make here in a moment, but into I, would think, I think you would agree the success of the Bible lectures. And Bill said, uh, Rick, um, we have an opportunity. Would you like to do a cover for a one-by-one one CD? Now, CDs are little round silver discs, you know, and uh, you don't know them, see them anymore. But at the time, they were a pretty big deal. And so I got a chance to design the cover. And what I didn't realize, that was kind of a tryout. And then I got a call from Bill, because they were happy with one-by-one, one, the CD. And then I got a call from Bill, and he said, uh, listen, would you work with me and Jerry on the cover of the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And uh, I did. And uh, that was another tryout, and that was taking, drawing me one step closer. I had no idea what they were doing and what they were drawing uh, me to, but they had something in mind. Uh, two people factor pretty heavily beyond Jerry and putting in the, in the years that follow. And one is Bill Henniger. I've mentioned him. He is my mentor. He brought me to Pepperdine. I uh, don't always. Um, think as clearly about what I should be doing next, and when I don't, I'll always stop and ask, now what would Bill do? Hmm. Uh, Bill spent three years downloading himself into me and uh, making sure that I understood what, at least he, his perspective, what Pepperdine was. The other person who is invisible on these slides up here, but was so critical to the success was Patty Atkinson, and uh, Patty's here, and uh, she did so much to make these things run. Um, every minister, everybody who came to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures in one way or another had to encounter and uh, respond to and even deal with Patty Atkinson. <laughs> and uh, there is so much that makes these Bible Lectures happen for 75 years and uh, I, had, I had no idea uh, that I'd be drawn into it. Those are some of the practical things, more about some of those people in a moment, but I want to tell you what really caused me to decide I'm going to come to Pepperdine. And I want to spend a few moments, just as Rubel did a great job of sharing a little bit of context yesterday about his own journey, I'm going to share a little bit about what I think it's important for you to know, at least from my perspective, what Pepperdine is trying to do and what it was trying to do then. And the big idea behind Pepperdine that animates me to this day. Uh, it is a bigger idea than we even really think about enough. And so I want to give you a sense of what was kind of happening here. And I want to start, and by the way, I have to recommend to you all, if you have not picked up this book, pick up this book, uh, if you can, it's a heavy book. <laughs> um, and by the way, this is only about, uh, if, if the book that David Baird had actually written had actually been printed, you could not pick it up. It was what, twice this size. But it is the story of Pepperdine University. And I want you to know that uh, it's a pretty raw story in places. Uh, as the PR person, there are stories here I wish were not in here. Um, but I will tell you, it's an authentic story. Uh, and it gives you a sense of what Pepperdine's trying to do and what I believe God is trying to do through Pepperdine. And it's a, it's a big idea. And that is why I came to Pepperdine 20 years ago. And that's why I'm still at Pepperdine 20 years later, because of the big idea. Some would say, well, sure, it's the view, it's the people. I love all those, but it is the big idea. 
So what was important to know is that Pepperdine at the time, it has always been operating in pretty much contested space. Um, faith is contested in this space uh, in, in Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles, in ways that I think, I'm sure it's present everywhere around this country and around the world, but it's uniquely present here. And for us to try to be the kind of university, the Christian university that we aspire to be in this location is hard. This is a rock that Pepperdine, I feel it even now, is having to push uphill all the time. We'll never stop pushing this rock uphill. But I read in this book, they've been pushing this rock for a long time. And I think through it, the big idea was born. And I think that um, it's really engaged in kingdom work because of it. And I will say that it's because of that that the Pepperdine Bible Lectures was even able to be the kind of place, Rubel, that you needed when you needed it, that I needed when I needed it. Um, I was 19 years old when I read your book. I was in college and I was wrestling with the same things, maybe in a different way, but you know, uh, what, had, what had loosened me was um, a guy named Denny Boltinghouse. You all know Denny? Mm -hmm. Denny's ill right now and we're praying for Denny. Denny's in Franklin, Tennessee, but Denny was a minister at the Oldale Church of Christ and he spent a summer in Galatians patiently walking us through and introducing to this amazing story of grace. And that's when I realized, boy, things are upside down in my head. And then I read your book later. Uh, and I began to hear themes when I attended quietly at the Bible lectures, sitting way up in the rafters, far as away as I could be from Pepperdine at the time, never imagining that I'd be here, only to find that I'd made my way. And then I found the big ideas that Pepperdine was trying to address. On the screen, you have what is the current affirmation statement. I learned through reading David's book that that's actually been going around and being rewritten and, and nudged here and there for a, quite a while. Uh, if you ask at Pepperdine, if you ask anybody, who wrote the affirmation statement? There are no less than 12 people that will raise their hand and say they did. Uh, it turns out somehow I think the university wrote it and wrote it over time. And these are some of the big ideas. Pepperdine University affirms that God is, that God is revealed uniquely in Christ. Uh, that used to say that he is revealed uniquely in Christ, did it? Did it not, Jerry? Um, by the way, Jerry made sure that this was printed in every Pepperdine Bible lecture booklet. I had to always design room for that. And I have to say, Jerry, much to my disappointment in myself, I looked at this year's booklet and did not find it. <laughs> I'm sure you already knew that we We'll have to try to address that next year. That God is revealed uniquely in Christ, that the educational process may not, with impunity, be divorced from the divine process, that the student, as a person of infinite dignity, is the heart of the educational enterprise, that the quality of student life is, va is a valid concern of the university, that truth, listen to this one, that truth, having nothing to fear from investigation, should be pursued relentlessly in every discipline. That's a big line. That's a big idea. For a Christian university to be talking about. That spiritual commitment, tolerating no excuse for mediocrity, demands the highest standards of academic excellence. Listen to this from David's uh, uh, book, um, Quest for Distinction. This is Pepperdine trying to carve out its place, position itself in the realm of higher ed. 
Uh, I'm sure there are many who felt this way, but I, I noticed this particular passage uh, quoting uh, Jerry Hudson, or referring to Jerry Hudson. He also added an academic quality, believing that mediocrity was inherently unchristian. To him, academic excellence was deeply Christian, and when delivered in context of an affirming faith, was a mark of distinction. It's a big idea there. Mediocrity, academic excellence. That freedom, whether spiritual, intellectual, or economic, is indivisible. That knowledge calls ultimately for a life of service. These are exciting ideas. This is the kind of institution that can ask big questions and can wrestle with them. And the Bible lectures that Jerry Rushford began to build began to also reflect these ideas and allow big questions to be asked and even allowed questions to be asked that some people didn't think should be asked. But Pepperdine, in its very root, can be that. When I first came, this was beginning to make its way onto the campus. In fact, uh, you may or may not know this, Jerry. It's the only time I did something at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures that I think I did without your permission. Now, I think, I hope we're okay with this. It's been a long time, so maybe we can move on. Um, I visited with, with um, David Davenport, and he had asked me, uh, we were about ready to release this uh, a little booklet of the mission statement. These are the 27 words. There's some 14 pages or something else that really describe what's underneath all of that. Uh, it's all on our website or in a booklet if you're interested in more. But he said, Rick, I really want to know how do we get this, how do we tell the story of this mission of the university? And this was, boy, maybe two or three weeks before the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And I said, David, I think the church would be interested. I think they'd love to read this. I think they'd love to know. Uh, I knew because being born and raised in Bakersfield, there are big question marks in a lot of people's mind about, is Pepperdine true? Is, what it's, is it the kind of Christian university that we think is right? Uh, and by the way, I'm sad to say there were all kinds of people in my world who thought the answer to that was no. But I knew they'd be interested in what this said. Look at these, listen to these words. Pepperdine is a Christian university committed to the highest standards of academic excellence and Christian values where students are prepared for lives of purpose, service, and leadership. You know, this bottom part here, where students are prepared for lives, purpose, service, and leadership, that's sort of our tagline. That's kind of like, uh, we, we'll have the logo, or the, you know, and then we'll put that little tagline. Uh, you should know that the other 99% of my job is marketing. I'm the chief marketing officer at Pepperdine, and so my job is, is the marketing piece, and, uh, and the church relations piece. I have two business cards to explain that. Uh, when I go downtown and I talk to the business people downtown, I bring the chief marketing officer card. That gets me into the Jonathan Club and the California Club. But if I show up to the churches with chief marketing officer, they're not too interested in that. So I show up with the uh, vice president of public affairs and church relations, and that gets me into the churches. So I live this dual life, and it's killing me. Um, anyway, that's sort of a big theme. But it's like highlighted highest standards of academic excellence and Christian values. David, this was not his alone. Pepperdine had been working through this for a very, very long time. But these, this puts in the most succinct way the great big Pepperdine idea. When I first came to Pepperdine, this mission statement was being published, and Jerry put it in the booklet because we were linking the truth of Pepperdine with the Bible lectures. We didn't want them, those to be two different things. 
And so the mission of the university, highest standards of academic excellence, well, that sounds good. What does that mean? That's tricky. When we had faculty members here years ago uh, from uh, mo many of the members of the University Church of Christ. They're all in the natural sciences. They're brilliant scientists. We have a world-class geneticist who's uh, moving away this year, but member of the University Church of Christ. They love the Lord. They're very active. But they had a conference, Why Darwin Still Matters. Well, it was the churches that called me, not Churches of Christ. There's other churches. What do you do? I thought you were a Christian university. Well, we are committed to the highest standards of academic excellence. We think any question can be asked and should be asked. We have a philosophy department at Pepperdine. You may or may not realize, yes. You may or may not know that not all Christian schools have historically had them. Because it asks questions like, does God exist? It asks existential questions, cosmological questions. Well, Jerry was letting the church bring its questions to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And so I wanted to give you just a little bit of a sense, at least from my perspective, what was happening at Pepperdine at the time. And this excited me then, and it excites me now. Uh, I will say, there is an easier way, and that is to sort of lock it down, be very prescriptive, but that's not distinctive. We could either be very far one way or very far the other way, but this mission puts us right in the middle in a thoughtful middle conversation. Do you know the name Dallas Willard? If some of you may have known who he was, he passed away a few years ago. But I did an interview with him for Pepperdine Magazine and, and he just said, this is a brilliant idea. And he said, by the way, your Church of Christ you roots make it possible to live this out. He said, seeking God instead of defending, you know, building a fortress around doctrine. He said, most, most Christian universities have to do that. You are free to really explore and ask the questions. And he said, I think God will bless that in, 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 in amazing ways. I believe that's true. So that's kind of the backdrop <clears throat> that's happening at, um, the Pepper, at Pepperdine at the time, still happening as we uh, make even decisions that we make today. But this is when I arrived, and uh, this was my first cover. Uh, this was back in 1998. Uh, I was not, well, yeah, I was at Pepperdine at this point. It's also, I have to say, as I've gone through these documents, Jerry, I have been, um, I'm amazed at the vivid memories. Just as you had some vivid memories when you looked at those books. Mine are very different. I, I am not a historic person. I was never on the um, dais to speak. I, that's not who I am. But I have my own memory of what was going on at the time. <coughs> I was just learning this new thing called Photoshop, and it was, in, it was on this, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're Macintoshes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're little anyway, I was learning how to use these tools. I had one of the little square boxes. This was designed on one of my little square boxes in a program called PageMaker. PageMaker is like in the Smithsonian. You can see the computer I was working on in the Smithsonian. Not the exact one, but one just like it. And that's what I designed this on, and, uh, another king, another kingdom, and uh, great themes from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, just to give you a sense of some of who was there that year, Tim Woodruff, uh, he was in Circe at the time, Milton Jones, Dan Anders, Chris Seidman, Jeff Walling, Jack Reese, and Chris Smith. And, um, 
And you can also notice something that's probably pretty important. I would come to appreciate this much later. When Jerry was putting together the lineup for the seven speakers, he was looking across the nation to make sure that we had some kind of um, uh, representation from across the country. And uh, so uh, I used to think, well, that's kind of a nifty thing. Now I realize it's a big deal. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jerry, these were some of the people that were there. This is when I also learned the first time what it was like to work on a project with Bill Henniger and Jerry Rushford. You may or may not know this, but Jerry perceives himself to be an art director. <laughs> he is pretty confident that his aesthetic sensibilities are as strong as anyone's. And so when we got together, I would bring in several different designs. And he would look at them. And he'd bring in, this happened, this was like, this is like the swallows coming back to Capistrano. <laughs> Every year we would come down and I'd walk into Bill's office and the floor would be covered with all of the past Bible, Bible lectureship booklets on the ground and Jerry would walk me through them. And I would walk and look at them and then he'd say, and there'd be a little blank piece of paper or something, and what are we doing this year? So I'd bring forward some ideas, and he'd accept some, reject some. He'd begin to put some together. Bill did a great job of interpreting Jerry for me so that I could come up with something. Anyway, I was just so delighted to do this that I think I did, oh man, dozens of revisions <laughs> um, for, for this one. And I look at this now and I think, oh, I wince, you know. Um, you know, I was very proud of it at the time, but you know, um, and what's strange, too, is you may remember back in the day, up until the following year, and I'll show you in a moment, but prior to these themes, um, you would hire, and I forget who, Joel Soliday, right? You guys know Joel? Yes. I think it was Joel. He did some of it. You hired different, different backdrop, backdrop painters, and they would take the cover and they would paint them. They would illustrate them. They were hand done. Um, some were more faithful to the cover than others, but they were all hand done. But during this time, technology was developing. Uh, it used to be that we could print things out on a little printer on a piece of paper, but it turns out by next year, we could print out full color on a big canvas, and we started doing that. Um, I remember walking into the uh, field house and seeing on the stage for the first time the, the hand-painted version of that cover. But, this is what, this was the first painting. It got me to Pepperdine. Our first illustration got me to Pepperdine. Um, it is as dated as it looks, and it feels that way. But uh, it, back in the day, it was a step forward. And so this is what you would call a, um, not a revolutionary step, but an evolutionary step towards something different. So let's look at a timeline here. We'll kind of try to cover this. And, and, and I recognize you have a lot of uh, photos here that are blurry, but we'll be able to do a little bit of a timeline here. Um, so here we have another king, another kingdom. And then I lift up my soul, is the, the book of Psalms. Um, and uh, that year we had Jim McGuigan. Uh, you all remember Jim? Yeah. Boy, I love hearing Jim. And, and I remember uh, Chris Goldman, he came, Rodney Plunkett, Rick Mars, Randy Harris, Mark Love, and Lynn Anderson. And I remember Lynn Anderson's final message that night. It is the first person that I ever thought in a full Firestone field house that I would have been able to hear even if he didn't have a microphone. He was delivering big time and he cried out 
a prayer of lament that haunts me to this day. I remember that day uh, vividly. Uh, we recreated uh, at least the color portion of I Lift Up My Soul uh, in the book. It was our first color version. I'll point out one of the things that's a little interesting here. This was kind of Bill Henniger and I working, trying to work this stuff out. Um, I would often come to our, our creative meetings with some uh, images of, um, you know, very, very literal images of things. And, and Bill said, no, that's not the way we do it at Pepperdine. And this is when I really learned the whole idea of designing subtly. Um, don't be um, literal. Um, you know, find, use nature images to somehow be evocative. And so we would, uh, we would never, up until later, uh, use an image of an actual person. Uh, we wouldn't do those kinds of things. Now, we began to break some of these rules here in a moment, but at the time, it was always nature. The whirlwind, the fire, it was always symbolic. Um, so the following year, we had Gravity of Grace, and uh, that was David's last year, and David closed out. This was in 2000, and David Davenport closed out in, um, on Friday night. But we had Mark Henderson, Ross Thompson, Rick Ashley, Kelly Carter, Mike Cope, and David Fleer. You'll notice that on these keynotes, you'll be hearing, at least for a while, only male names. I've learned later that that was not necessarily what Jerry's choice was, but he knew that he wanted to try to keep pace with where the church was. And, in fairness to Jerry, all you have to do is open those books and you will see that Jerry has been invited women to speak for many, many years at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, and they were present and, and contributing, but not on the main stage. That was not happening, uh, happening yet. But I remember David's final um, uh, message that night, and, um, and this is when I began to become very much acquainted with Rick Ashley, who spoke just a few nights ago, and then Mike Cope, who now directs the Moving further now into, where are we now? Uh, 2001, great themes from 1 Corinthians, shaped by the cross. So we go with for years with no people in them to a cover with maybe three dozen people in them all at once. But I put together, tried to, how do we put together this cross-shaped people? And you can't quite see it here, but it was a pretty, I, there, there's an awful lot going on. I look back on it now and I realize there's too much going on. But cross-shaped people, we've got to tell the story of um, sort of a little bit building off of Leonard Allen's cruciformed uh, church, the cruciformed uh, church and, and, and being cruciformed people. Um, but in that year, Jack Reese was our opening night speaker, Mark Frost, Don McLaughlin, Tim Kelly from Camarillo, I remember that day, Dan Bushell, Brad Small, and Jeff Walling. Um, we have learned over the years, um, like it or not, Jeff Walling can help you keep a crowd until Friday night. So occasionally we make sure that he makes it on Friday night. I, I also know that he often closed out the Yosemite family encampment, too, because he could keep campers there, too. Um, so as we moved along, you can begin to see some of the people who show up um, in, in, in this time. We have Mike Cope. We have Janice Brown. We have uh, Rick, actually. And they're just great moments where people are gathering for fellowship. They are new uh, teachers are being introduced to the church. Um, all the honoring that would go along with uh, the event where they would honor missionaries, they'd honor church leaders and others, and that was happening at the time. Harold Schenck, you'll see in one of these photos as we move a little further to uh, uh, the, the following year, which is Christ and New Creation. Great themes from 2 Corinthians. I'm going to actually jump out of my presentation for a moment and show you a little detail on that cover. 
Here's all these people. By the way, we had conversations about every single choice that went inside the cross. Oh no, he looks a little suspicious to me. Or oh no, <laughs> she looks a little too. It, we could, I can say this now because I'm confident that Jerry loves me, but it was driving us all crazy. Because we were going through all these different decisions about what people should look like. But new creation, great themes from 2 Corinthians. This cover um, was, Jerry already knows where we're going with this. This is when I realized that whatever control I thought I had as a designer was completely wrong. Somewhere, here, just to give you a little sense of how things go, I want to be mindful of our time. So I better keep going. Um, I would, we would work on this in November. And it had to go to the printer before we went to Christmas break. And then the designer would have to come back a little early and go to the printer. It was TO printing for the most part back in the day. Um, they're still in business. They still do work for us. And um, anyway, I had designed it, I think, without this piece right here. And somewhere between Christmas and the press, Bill Henniger and Jerry decided, we need this bloodstain to be vivid and needs to be present and clear. And I come back and I go to press and I see this pouring off the press, <laughs> this blood that's coming off of this page. And uh, just so you know, uh, the blood is not mine, the blood is somebody else's, and I uh, made it to the cover for here on out, but um, that was, that just gives you a little idea of what it was like to be a designer, and uh, Jerry Rushford and Bill Henniger were the uh, art directors. All right. Um, so later that year uh, for, um, where were we here on that? Oh. Uh, Randy Harris, Harold Shank, Chris Smith, Dan Rodriguez. We'll be hearing Dan tonight, uh, now the um, chair of the Religion Division at Pepperdine. Chris Seidman, Andy Wall, and Jim McGuigan once again. Um, as we move a little further in our timeline, uh, you probably can't pick it up here, but we began to work in pairs. Uh, they so there were two at a time. We began to, begin to mirror one another. So the mystery of godliness and lifted up were used a different kind of watercolor paper and meant to the evocative watercolor. You see the Ken Starr, David Fleer, others, uh, Don, Don McLaughlin. Nice picture of Tom Albright. You can't see it very clearly here, but he's up, he's presiding over the final night in prayer there. Just some great, great photos. Uh, fast forwarding a little bit, I'll go all the way up to um, this image <coughs> up at the top. Uh, this one, um, Mr. Godley has lifted up. Hear the word of the Lord. I think Tim Willis did yeah. the teaching or the kind of the expository the work that year, right? Yeah. yeah, he was expository that year. And this was the first year we decided to use an image of somebody to really kind of represent the prophet um, Jeremiah. Well, this is an exclusive, folks. Uh, I'll let you know that for our booklet purposes, this is Jeremiah. This is actually a painting of Galileo, so uh, <laughs> it came in handy, and uh, we, we, we used it. They always looked a lot alike. Moving quickly, we, we have a few other pairs. Again, Mike Cope shows up all the time. It's no wonder he became the director. 
uh, Fred Gray, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, Randy Harris. Anyway, some of my favorite co covers. But this one, this is the last year of Jerry's year, living between the times. And my life at Pepperdine was changing, my role was changing, and I have to say that out of all the covers we've talked about today, this is the one that I did not do. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, Jerry and I could not see eye to eye on this. And it's Jerry's call. Um, I, I still think we had a better cover than we let go. But, <laughs> but living between the times, Jerry had something in mind, and I finally said something I'd never said before, and I cannot believe I said it this last year. I give up, Jerry. I cannot make you happy on this. He said, can I work with one of your designers? And I said, of course. And they did, and they came up with something that Jerry loved. And after all, that's what was important. The other project during that time, though, that I was beginning to work on was something else. And it was this. It was the celebrating uh, 30 years of spiritual feasts, 83 to 2012. And um, my goodness, you even saw some pieces of that today. What an amazing project that was. Bill Henniger, who had since retired, wrote that uh, history. Uh, it is online in the digital commons. It's something to spend some time with. You, I mean, you could go through that and get a real sense of uh, the history of the Pepperdine Bible yeah. lectures. But in it, there were a lot of people who wrote notes, and one of them was Randy Harris. And um, with his permission, I'm going to read what uh, he wrote to Jerry. This email is something like reviewing my whole ministry history. I'm telling you, whether it's you, Rubel, or me and my connection, we can all trace some of our own stories year after year with the Bible lectures. This email is something like reviewing my whole ministry history. Maybe that's why it took so long. I have no idea how long ago it was that I spoke first at the Pepperdine lectures, but I remember it was in the chapel, and I thought no one would be there. Some were. I had no idea why you invited me, but your willingness to take a chance on me was absolutely life-changing. This is no overstatement. A little later, you invited me to speak about baptism for three days and some others. It was this invitation that helped me find one of, the major vocation, one of my major vocations, a public theologian, a theologian for the church, not the academy. The next 20 years of my life was largely devoted to that task. How does one say thank you for helping me find my life's work? There's virtually nothing in the three-book trilogy I wrote that wasn't first said at the Pepperdine Lectures, as he talks about his book, latest book. No lectures, no book, he says. One of the reasons I told you a year ago that I wanted to write this email is that I have become increasingly aware and thus grateful of those who create a platform. The person on the platform may get the attention, but those who create it seldom get the credit they deserve. Harold Hazlip and Royce Money made the platform for me as a teacher, but you made it possible for me to be a theologian for the church. I am sure I could have had a good and rewarding career as an academic, but this whole other segment of my ministry would simply not have existed if not for you. I'm sure this occasionally occurs to you, but the good that the Pepperdine Lectures do for three days a year, while significant, is only a tiny part of what they and you have accomplished. You also enabled countless young ministers to find their voice. How could one begin to count how much that matters? And so I hope this is a time in your life when you can look back and say, as hard as the work was, as long as the hours were, it was worth it. 
and he ended it as he always does. Peace, Randy. <clears throat> Great truth in that statement. The Bible lectures have played a huge role in, under Jerry's leadership and helping the church have conversations it needed to have. Yeah. It helped ministers find their voice and vocation. We are a fellowship that doesn't have a headquarters somewhere. So where do we go to work it out? I love what uh, Dave Clayton said a few years ago on our stage of Bible lectures. He said, this is where Pepperdine goes to work out its stuff, or, or where the church goes to work out its stuff at Pepperdine. And I think that's good. I think that's important. And um, that's not always popular, but I think it's good. And I, hopefully you've got a sense of why I think that is, is why Pepperdine can be that. Let me move quickly because I'm now going to turn the page from these years. I get an email from, I'm down at the California Club at a meeting thinking that my future is going to be as a, in public affairs or maybe as a fundraiser down at the California Club. And I get an email from Jerry saying, I've spoken with Andy Benton and we think that you and Mike Cope should be the next team to lead the Bible lectures. I have no idea what you're talking about when I get that email. I get an email from Andy later that weekend that explained it to me. And, uh, but it was my first clue that that was coming. Andy sent me, and you can imagine how I felt. I have held the Bible lectures up here. It's played that role in my life. Andy sent me an email and he said, there, and he said I want to meet with you on Monday. We met and we talked and he said, I have two things, just two things that I want you to never forget. <laughs> don't mess up and don't ask for money. <laughs> that was it. And he said, don't mess it up and don't ask for money. And by the way, I've asked for money. I've done both of these things. <laughs> What's that? I do love clarity. I, my marching orders were very, very clear. Don't mess it up and don't ask for money. Now, I will tell you, in the first year, I violated both of these. Um, but this is what Andy uh, said. He said, look, the Bible lectures are important, and you need to know money comes into Pepperdine one of two ways. It's either do donors or student tuition. Um, it's expensive to go to Pepperdine. So what do we do? How do we make it work? How do we fund this? Um, you may or may not know this or realize just how expensive it is to put the Pepperdine Bible lectures on. It wouldn't seem like it, it is. And so anyway, um, I learned very, very quickly what Jerry was working through for 30 years, what Patty was working through all that time trying to figure out housing. I never realized, this is something, this is, I promised you yesterday we'd pull back the curtain Here's one of the, the little secrets of the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Under Jerry's leadership, the only revenue source was housing. People would buy housing. They'd stay on campus, and that revenue we would keep, Bible, church Bible Lectures would keep, and that's how they'd pay for the Bible Lectures. And that worked until Airbnb, uh, VRBO. You can't believe the number of people coming to the Bible Lectures this year, probably some of you in this room, who went to Airbnb. We found out of a church that's down there on the beach. They're all teaming up together to live in a nice cottage and a house somewhere down on the beach. They're not living in the dorms, all right? What's rule number two? Don't ask for money. Well, they're not living in the dorms, Andy, you know? The challenge is, is that there were different ways we had to figure out how to make all of this work. Well, Mike and I teamed up, and I will say that Mike, um, it, it's a complete joy for me to work with Mike. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges we had was, can we work together? How would that 
you, you know, that, that's not always a guaranteed thing, especially given that Mike lives in Abilene, Texas to this day. How do we work together? How do we connect? How do we make all this work? I'm not going to say it's been easy, but I will say it has been joyful. And, and uh, Mike brings a lot of energy and a lot of thought to this. And as you heard last night, I don't know of anyone connected to our young preachers like Mike Cope. To this day, there's not a day goes by where he is not receiving calls from them. And he's helping them on a small scale connect with and think through what they're facing in their churches. And folks, it's a very different changing church dynamic. Jerry, you knew this when we were visiting Central California. You were talking through this a little bit with me. That We saw churches that were a third the size they were when we first started. Um, back in the day, a church could bring 42 people, you know, but now a church, that church actually only has 42 people. Now, it's not all that dismal everywhere, but it is a different dynamic. You all have seen it, and we experience it, too. We work doubly hard to try to bring an audience to Pepperdine. So things changed, and we've made a few changes along the way, but we did always ask ourselves, what would Jerry do? Uh, that became pretty hard to keep up with, but we tried. The first year, Faithfully Falling Lamb in Revelation, can I get a witness? Uh, one of the things that Mike began to do is develop themes that were topical and not just related to a book, and so he began to build around that. Uh, that was our first year, a pretty exciting year in Revelation. Enter the water, come to the table, a really interesting conversation around baptism, sacraments of baptism and communion. Faith works, a look at James. One of the things that happened along the way is that we began to make room for some voices outside the Churches of Christ. Certainly a controversial move, for sure. Uh, but uh, this first year, we brought N.T. Wright out. Uh, and um, we uh, have a lot of ministers who have been impacted by N.T. Wright's teaching uh, over the years, and they got a chance to be with him. I think the church was uh, blessed as well. But that was, a, that was a departure. That was a change for us. Uh, my team at uh, the Integrated Marketing Group are heavily involved with trying to promote the Pepperdine Bible Lectures through new mediums besides the booklet. Um, or through uh, social media and the like. Last year, Spiritual Rhythm Scrolls or Robust Salvation. This one was an abstract subject for a lot of people, and I get that. Um, it was for me as well. This was uh, a cover that I did, by the way. Um, and uh, I enjoyed working with Mike on some of these, although Mike is no less a uh, picky art director than you are. <laughs> Um, but um, <coughs> spiritual rhythms was a uh, was an interesting way to think about some of the historic biblical rhythms of spiritual life, and um, uh, some some different things happened there, some different experiences. One of the things we tried to do is look at other conferences and think about how they're held. We began to introduce other things besides Bible classes. Uh, Steve uh, Davis would do an excursion for photography. We had hiking. Uh, we had trips to the Getty. We tried to make Malibu an attractive destination with uh, experiences that were planned. And so that became uh, a piece of what we were doing. And this year it was the first year in the 75th year that we called uh, the Bible lecture, Lectures Harbor. Uh, I've heard it referred to this week more often as the harbor, and maybe that's what will stick, who knows. But it is built around Mike's own personal experience that that's what the Pepperdine Bible Lectures were for him. If you know his personal story and the loss that he experienced in his family, um, there is no question that Pepperdine and the Bible Lectures played an incredible role in supporting him and, and even in some ways preserving him spiritually. And so it was for him a harbor. 
you don't have to trust me, but I'll ask you to. Um, as we engage ministers and church leaders, as much as I've ever seen us do at Pepperdine right now, with the number of projects that we have on, going on right now, the leaders of our churches are really struggling. They are feeling isolated. They are looking for something. And Pepperdine is trying, with the Bible lectures, with the Lilly Thriving in Ministry program we're doing, with some of the equipping and um, encouraging seminars that we're doing. Earlier this year, we did an elders seminar, elders workshop. We are trying to not just encourage, but to partner with our churches uh, because we are clear that they need them. We're focusing primarily on the West Coast, uh, Abilene and Lipscomb and other parts of the country. The folks out here in the West, the churches are struggling. So Harbor was trying to be a, a response to, to some of that. Well, we've raced. There's a lot of uh, time um, that I've, I probably have overstayed. Oh, yeah, uh, my welcome. But um, um, that's what I have for you. You want to do a Q&A? Yeah, yeah. Are there any uh, questions or observations? Any uh, hecklers in the audience? today? Yeah? No? Yes? As you look back over the themes, uh, you know, over the last 20 years, what what story do you see, like, about how the Church of Christ has been evolving, growing, growing in faith? What have you noticed? Um, in some ways, and I will say I am, um, I am uh, influenced by what I see happening this week. And um, I see us, I see the Church of Christ, and, and I know that it's not always uh, clear, but when I think about who we are at our deepest level, not what we've become uh, in, in different ways, but what we are back to Thomas Campbell, Alexander Campbell, and others, I see us finding those big ideas uh, again. I see us longing for unity. Uh, I see us, um, and, and I see... And even though I know we're losing our young people, I see, um, in, in many ways, I, I also see some excitement coming from our young people. Uh, I am deeply encouraged by the young ministers that I see coming up. Um, I don't get necessarily the way they preach. I don't, um, it's amazing what I am comfortable with. And, uh, but I, I see us hanging together, I really do. And I think that that is what's the most encouraging thing to me. Um, and um, so thematically, I don't know if I can answer your question specifically. Um, probably don't want to because the recorder's going. Um, but no, I appreciate what you said. Okay. Other? Yeah, somebody else had one. Yeah. My question had to do with what your thoughts are on the future of Harbor and if you see an increase or decrease in young people, not just ministers, but other people in the church um, attending. Yeah. Well, there's no question that our numbers are different. Uh, we can't show some of the photos of packed houses the way Jerry can from years ago. But I think Jerry even saw towards uh, the end uh, some uh, decline. I'm sure there's some decisions we've made that have uh, hastened some of that. Um, I will say that we, are, we have a growing digital audience. Um, we've had several hundred each night watching this live online. Um, at Pepperdine, my team manages the um, um, YouTube channels, live stream channels. Uh, if you you if you do a search on Google for Pepperdine, 
um, the vast majority, the largest group of eyeballs on Pepperdine right now are through the Bible lectures. They're seeing, and, and by the way, for whatever it's worth to you, uh, the highest is N.T. Wright um, in front of the Pepperdine sign. Uh, but Rick actually has 7,000 people who watched what he did um, just uh, a couple of years ago. Um, we, um, Sarah Barton, because uh, women have found a place now on the large stage. Um, her, hers and Amy Bost-Henniger from last year, their message has been uh, downloaded a lot. We're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of, I will say what's interesting to me is uh, Jeff Childers. You all know Jeff from ACU. He wrote, or didn't write, he did our first year this thing on uh, gender roles. And remember where he argued against himself? Anybody remember that? That is one of the most popular videos uh, that we have people, that are people are watching on our channel. So to answer your question, where do I see it going? I don't see the live event ever going away. We will always have that. But I see a real opportunity to export the Pepperdine, uh, Pepperdine's Bible lectures, the content coming out of here through digital means. Other questions? Yeah. Could you go back to slide? A slide? Yeah, just go back. You have a uh, tendency sometimes to put things in your covers that I don't understand. Okay. Uh, the one on the left, the crucible. What's that shadow thing? This? Yes. Um, this is a piece of the, um, it's just really decorative, but it's a piece of our chapel. Uh, the stained glass from the chapel is right there. Art should be, in my view, should be art, right? And um, it should have some kind of evocative uh, feeling. Now, I will say, uh, I did not design this one, by the way. Um, I, I'm a little more literal. <laughs> scrolls, we have scrolls, you know? <laughs> How about this year? What's the... All right, well, this one was designed by a designer named Keith. And this one I really love, and it's, it's, it's the mosaic. The idea here is that through the Spirit, the Spirit-filled people of God is what, is what God's doing in this world right now. And it's through us, and it is a mosaic, and it is about diverse diversity. It is, and these rep, these little tiles, I don't know. It's they all have a place. They all have a place. They all fit. Some are big, some are small. Uh, some are rough cut, some are smooth cut. Um, yeah, and I really do. Um, and I have to say, I, this is, the little symbolic nature of that is uh, very aspirational to me. Um, the idea that we could be a diverse people um, engaged communally in the kingdom is very exciting to me. One more? Yes? The future looks like financial difficulties. It might be good to be able to have us donate something you know, for the lectureship so it won't collapse. Well, I, I don't, I, I fully expect Pepperdine to always support it. There's, I, I don't expect that to happen, but what we want to do is we don't want to always put that on the back of our, of our students. So as you know, uh, we've asked for registration and uh, there is a small fee that's associated with that. Another controversial move, but it has helped us. Um, it doesn't pay for the Bible lectures, but it helps us offset that. Uh, we think it's fairly nominal, a nominal fee. And by the way, uh, it's not a big secret, but there are plenty of people who have come who said, I can't pay it, and there's a, we don't stand at the door. There's no questions asked. I mean, it's really an honor system. And President Benton this year uh, gave us, uh, I'll just say it, a $10,000 
uh, scholarship to invite and fly out and bring ministers from around the country who could not afford it. Uh, they'd be nominated by others who said, look, uh, this is a couple working at a small church in the middle of you name it. We flew them out. Um, we put them up. And, um, and so Pepper and I is going to always support this. Um, I really do think, listen, one of the things that's happened during this period of time, whether it's, uh, and I take no joy in this, but whether it's uh, Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop, Jubilee, uh, GNU, whatever it is, these kinds of things are not uh, what, they're not the attraction they once were. And so we're working hard to try to, to adapt to that. I appreciate what you've offered and what you've said, and certainly wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> um, but that is, that is the reason we have tried to offer a little fee. And you know what, this year, uh, we had um, almost 1,700 people register and pay that fee. How many? 1,700. 1,700. Yeah. That paid the fee. That paid the fee. Which is waived if you stay on campus. Right. Because what is our, what is it? Sure. You, behind the curtain, what's our source? Housing. Well, listen, thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this. I hope uh, you enjoyed at least some of it. I want to make a closing. Last word. What's that? Jerry wants the last word. And I knew he would. I, I'm going to close with this statement. You saw the uh, booklet, The Rushford Years, The 30 Years, and it said Bill Henniger wrote it all. He did. That would not have happened without Rick. Um, in the library, there's a beautiful mahogany corner called the Rushford Center. Uh, President Benton made that decision, but Rick planted that seed. And, uh, you know, I'm at an age where I know that uh, my indebtedness the first Bill Henniger and now Rick, they were the people who now knew how to market me and, and to market the lectures. And uh, that's a debt I just can't repay. But uh, what what Rick means in my life is just, it's just everything. And when he drove down to Visalia in January of uh, of uh, 2012, my last year, six years ago. And uh, he rushed into the Visalia Church. Have you talked to Andy? And I thought I was in trouble. And I said, no, I've been in the car all the time. I've been driving. I've got to do this dinner tonight. And Rick, with great enthusiasm, said he wants to name the Churches of Christ Heritage Center for you. <laughs> and then he got up at that dinner. when <laughs> He did it every night that week. Visalia, then Sacramento, Rancho, then Livermore. He followed me around the state to all of my dinners, and he told the same joke over and over again. <laughs> and they roared over and over again. He said, you know, Mike and I are following Jerry Rushford, and Jerry Rushford is a perfect blend of, and I thought, before it even came out, I thought, I didn't know I was a blend of anything. What? Where is this going? He is a perfect blend of John the Baptist, and P.T. Barnum. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I take that as a compliment. I, I, that's probably what I am. It took Rick to see it. But uh, all of that is summed up in that night when he rushes through the parking lot and says, have you talked to Andy? And, uh, but all of that was planted by Rick. And uh, that 30-year booklet, I, I can't imagine that that could have ever been done. But that was that was Rick's creative giftedness. We start singing at 6:30.
We have Dan Rodriguez tonight. Final night is always rich. So uh, make your dinner plans, but meet us in the field house at 6.30. Thank you, Rick. Thank you.